Our guest today is Zenat Nurani, who is a workplace mindset and well-being coach. There are lots of experts out there who can help us in our post-40 work life, but we may not know what or who we need. Zena is going to give us an insight today on the work she does with individuals and organisations to improve workplace mindset and promote well-being. Zena has had a fascinating and varied career. She studied and worked as an interior designer. She was a professional skater performing in shows around the world, including Disney on Ice. She's also worked as a primary school teacher, and during her professional development, she became interested in neurolinguistic programming, NLP, a therapy which she now uses in her coaching practice, Vida della Mariposa. Zenat presents a talk radio show discussing topics around mental health and well-being and is a co-presenter of the Bromley Buzz podcast promoting her local community. She has recently launched a new project in Bromley called Let's Talk Better, which targets the issue of loneliness. Zena, welcome to the podcast. We like to ask all our guests, are you feeling on the right side of 40 today? Oh, <laughs> thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to be here and share my expertise, my personal stories, and whether being on the right side of 40, I am. Mm, yes and no, I would say. <laughs> I say, I said, think yes and no is a very honest answer and probably how we all feel day to day. I mean, I went through a phase, you know, when they say that people go through their midlife crisis at certain points. Well, I think I went through one at 30, then I went through one at 40, and then just recently another one at 50. Congratulations, I think. <laughs> Do you if want it's to any consolation... Yeah, I think I have one every two years, but I totally get it. It's, it's those big numbers, isn't it? Those yeah. big numbers really affect us psychologically. I think it's uh, society's expectations. Yeah, and how we yeah. internalise them and, and think that we have to measure ourselves in some way. Absolutely. But that's what we're all about deconstructing here on the Right Side of 40 podcast. We, you know, we want to inspire, we want to talk about all the great things about our post 40 work life and you have had a hugely varied career and you find yourself here at 50 having an amazing set of skills behind you but we're going to ask you about your role as a coach and I'm just interested in what prompted a change of career for you and, and what was it about well-being coaching that interested you? Well okay where to start I suppose well, my career changed when I was a primary teacher, so back in 2017. So I started teaching in 2010 after my um, skating career. You know, I thought teaching was, yeah, it's acting and I get to teach and, you know, it's, it's all going to be wonderful. Unfortunately, I, mean, I could be here for hours telling you about this, but uh, <laughs> there's so much like in it that uh, affects you, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally. So while I was teaching, I, you know, came across coaching in NLP and I thought, you know what, this is an absolutely fantastic tool that will be so useful, not only for myself, because we have to start with ourselves when it comes to personal development before we help others. And I, you know, I said, right, you know, there are things in my life that I want to change. There are things in my life I thought if I'd had these tools would have been great. Maybe life would have been slightly different and I would have handled situations differently because I used to be quite a a fiery character, should I say. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a great quality. It's great. Yeah, I'm fiery. So I was fiery, but also I was very giving. 
um, always saying yes to everything and also a perfectionist. And I think that came from my sort of childhood, always being in sports, that being that target and then skating, that competitive field where you're always competing against other skaters. Uh, even in the show, you've got to look a certain way, you've got to be a certain way, the height, the figure, all of that. So it impacts you indirectly mentally. You know, back then, I didn't know the impact of that, what it was having on my mental health and well-being. Fast forward, being a teacher, I got to a point where there's only so much you can take and eventually you burn out. If all those years, you you know, you've not dealt with those and you're pushing it under the carpet and that carpet's just collecting that dust, isn't it? And you, don't, you never kind of clear it out and deal with those issues, it builds up. I was very much like that. I was like, oh, you know, in the childhood, get on with it, you know, man up, those kind of phrases. You fall down, get on, you know, you've got to think of um, others, what they think and feel, you know, it's always about others and those expectations. And I kind of felt, well, if I don't do it, I'm never going to be good enough. And I always wanted to, people to value me because of the way I'd grown up. You know, also in school, I was never an a, a star student. I struggled you know, especially at maths and things like that, you know, that, that was my forte. I was more creative and yeah. sporty. And those things weren't really pulled out as much. It was always the academia side of things. Eventually, um, I had a burnout in school. I wasn't getting the support from leadership. I was getting actually attacked by parents, which then the children started on me. That so terrible. I, I haven't had a get great career in teaching and I, I will be open and honest from the day I qualified it's been a journey so unfortunately I had the burnout um I took some time out went under therapy and all of that because obviously my NLP and coaching didn't happen within the school I thought you know this would be great to roll out to children to parents to my colleagues yeah. as a support tool and I remember clearly when I came back I pulled up to the school gates and I went into a, a full-blown panic attack. And I, you know, I thought I was ready to go back. And I knew then that I didn't want to go back. And I didn't mm -hmm. want anyone to have control over me ever again. So no matter what my struggles would be in the future, I would be responsible for my own control, not anyone else. And then I handed in my resignation. Yeah. Wow. So it sounds like you were prioritizing your own well-being, maybe for the first time. Yeah. So tell us what NLP is and and how did you come across it and how did it help you so neuro-linguistic programming well it has lots and lots of fantastic tools so neuro is the mind linguistic is your language and the p is the program you think about computers but let's call it patterns because patterns is a kind of a softer word so it's basically how you absorb information externally Okay, it's funny, it's a shame I haven't got a model to show you, but if you imagine that you're, you've got all these experiences externally, it's how we absorb them through our five senses. Okay, and then it goes through and it goes through different filters. So our limiting beliefs, our meta programs, our, our um, environment, our behavior. So we've got six filters that we have inside and it kind of gets um, filtered through those. And then what happens, that then comes out in your behaviors and your state right and your physical um, symptoms so the emotional and physical way which then results in your behavior and your actions okay so some things we get we absorb and we take on others uh, we kind of file it back in our subconscious mind we don't deal with it 
um, because of other experiences or we feel that it's not important information or it's just overload you just take those little things because we can only hold so much within our brain so basically that's what NLP is it's it's how we absorb information externally how we filter it and then how it comes out in our results so how did you come across it like were you looking for some solutions because your situation was so unhealthy no because um, I'd actually come across it because I was with a friend of mine who had done some coaching and I went to an opening day where they were introducing coaching and while I was there they also had NLP um, as one of their programs so that's how I took actually both of them NLP and coaching together so I did it simultaneously. So was that the beginning of your coaching journey so as you were still a teacher you started to think about what coaching was and how you might be a a good coach and talk to us a little bit about that. Absolutely Uh, I mean I found these tools as a coach as well understanding who you are fundamentally uh your your values your identity and this is what nlp looks at as well because the two complement each other so nlp isn't as such a a therapy or uh, it's basically it has different processes and different tools that you can use within your coaching practice that makes sense sort of tell us more (laughs) so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for example, you might have a, a tool called in NLP anchoring, which is basically uh, it's a pressure point that you anchor your states and emotions of what you want to feel rather not feel. So you kind of go through a process where you understand that and you reprogram your thinking and your feeling. So then that behavior is different. So here's an example. So I and then use that within the coaching practice. Okay, so coaching is about taking you through a process and helping you to put those tools into places so you achieve those goals through a range of questioning. So an example would be, I'm not great going on the train underground and being around crowds, so I get panicky quite a lot. So I have an um, an acupuncture, I call it acupressure point because it's a pressure point, but it's not acupuncture. (laughs) It's a point that you then put in how you would rather feel. So you come up with three statements, for example, I want to feel calm, I want to feel brave and confident, for example. Those could be my three things, uh, which actually they are. And they are then uh, rewired into your subconscious, so your state mind, your state, which will then, when you enter automatically in that scenario, and if I suddenly feel that sort of panic attack coming on, I press where I've anchored it. So for me, it's on my knee. I'll press my knee and then it fires those neurons. It sounds really voo-voo, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Because they've been rewired, my brain has been rewired to think of those happy thoughts and then I'll be calmer, I'll be braver and more confident. So how do you do that? I mean, I totally get it. You know, you're creating those sensations. You know, you've got an aim of how you're going to feel. You're using the physical sensation to kind of anchor it and trigger that. How does that work with someone, you know, say someone like me who's never done that before, has no experience in in terms of coaching? how, How do you approach that with somebody? Well, first of all, somebody has to come to me for that. So unless you're coming to me and saying, these are the concerns I have or the issues that I have, we can't really do it. And you've got to be open yeah. to 
process. You've really got to be open to the process. If you're not and there's resistance, it makes it really difficult. And that applies to kinetic shift, which I do, um, hypnosis, even EFT. All the therapies out there, counseling, psychology, uh, psychotherapy, if you're not open to the process, you're not going to create those results that you want. Fundamentally, it starts with you. Mm-hmm. And then I talk through to my clients, say, right, these are the things that I have available to you. Are you open to trying them? And then obviously we go through whichever I believe would work and what they feel comfortable with. And if that process doesn't work, then I try another tool. How do you help people get past those points of resistance? Because I would imagine that some of it is fear. um, Some of it is uncertainty. You know, there's going to be a lot of negative emotions that I can immediately imagine is going to be the blocker for me to want to participate. How do you help people get past that? Once a client agreed to come to me, we um, work through a sort of a discovery session where we find out what their strengths are, where they uh, need to improve, what's been challenging for them and what's been stopping them. And once we've done that, and there's various sort of other tools that I use within that NLP tools, and one of them will be like beliefs and limiting beliefs. So we look at that very much so because often our fears of not moving forward is because of our belief system. What's a limiting belief? When uh, So you've got a belief system that's stopping you from moving forward. So like a limiting belief could be uh, imposter syndrome, like that I'm just not going to be good enough or I can't do this job. Yes. Okay. So that's their limiting belief. So why do they have that limiting belief? So then, so for example, if, you know, they've got that, I'm not good enough to get a new job. Let's look at that for a example because it happens quite a lot I would then delve into that and say okay you know what makes you believe that you're not good enough for that job so we look at all those reasons we then would probably look at where they've actually been successful and they have had another job and what they've done so because often we forget as humans we kind of let it go behind and we don't think our knowledge and our skills are transferable and life gets in the way. So it's about then going back, dusting it all off and say, well, actually, weren't you successful here? Didn't you manage to get through this challenge here? And we kind of deep, deep dive solidly into their belief systems, into their identity as well, and also their values, because those are really, really important. In order to be able to move forward, create the right mindset, you need to be able to adjust those three. So your beliefs, your values and your identity. Which do you find people struggle with the most out of those? They vary from client to client. Often it's the belief systems. But then again, we don't walk around going around saying, oh, what are my values? You know, no, we don't. Nobody really yeah. has a conversation. Generally, you only get asked that if you're going for an interview or you're doing a workshop or, of some sort. But then identity is a massive one. From my personal experience, I've realized that actually I'm working on my identity again because I came across a few things and I was like, well, actually, who am I? So I've got an identity. Mm -hmm. I know who I am for certain things, but who am I really? Because of the way my life was, I didn't realize for moving around, growing up in a foreign country, where do I fit in in the world? How do people see me in the world? So all of this can impact your results. So once you've got those established, then you're more able to successfully achieve the rest of the goals that you want to. 
sense to do. Actually, can I just mention with NLP as well, there are so many tools out there within NLP. It's really important to, you know, if you're kind of venturing out on NLP and you want to do some and you're looking at self-help, it's always good to speak to an expert professional because there are tools ethically wouldn't be advisable to do by yourself if you're not an expert also not online because there are certain tools that you should not do online because if that person suddenly falls into a past trauma you are not there to help them that's good advice yeah that's really good advice physically help them across the world and you're doing nlp that's me and that's my mm. advice. And I very much stand by that. And I know when I do NLP for coaches with Pam Rigdon, her, she's very much like that. There are certain tools you should not do online. Yeah. Which is good advice considering how much we rely on the hybrid environment at the moment. But yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So a lot of us, well, me especially, I, you know, when you're in a room, the energy's different. Also, right now, I can't see what's happening below your waistline or your shoulder line so you could be fidgeting your legs could be going I I read body language see if it's congruent with what's coming out of your mouth I am fidgeting actually (laughs) 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 no you're absolutely right it's a bit like you know we do we do we talk a lot about hybrid working on the podcast Mm. and I think the the different energy and the relationship you have with people in an online environment is very different to what you do in a face-to-face. I think we need to remember that that is so important. In terms of the other, I mean, you talked about this NLP, which I think we've all heard. I mean, to be honest, I, I didn't understand it until you've just explained it, which is brilliant. You mentioned kinetic shift. What's that? Again, that's all to do with emotions and visualization in your thought patterns. So it's a quick technique. Kinetic shift is uh, kind of a combination of hypnosis and NLP because all these therapies in some way or another link. Kinetic shift basically deals with emotions. And so, for example, if you had a fear of snakes or spiders, we would talk about, okay, I'd show an image of it, see their responses, get the information, you gather information of their thoughts around it, their emotional feelings around it, and you get words on it. And then there's this process of a script, um, which NLP has a lot of scripts as well that you kind of follow. What then happens, you take your client, as I said, through a process and ask them, where is that feeling? within your body and then uh, there are certain things that you say to the client and uh, you do with your hand and they kind of focus their attention so you like you're withdrawing it and they're literally you know you say right here's here's the snake here's the snake we're going to be removing it from you keep watching keep watching you take them through this process it's almost like a hypnosis thing and then all of a sudden you take it out and you throw it it's like whoosh it's gone and then you snap them back and then you rewire them and you take them on to something else and say, oh, what's your phone number, for example, backwards? So it, and then they're kind of lost in that. So it's both sides of your brain's working. And then what you do is you implement, like, for example, you'd say the colors of the rainbow to them while tapping them. You might tap them on the shoulder every time you see, you know, red, yellow, pink, blue, white, black, you know, for example, you will feel X, Y, Z. And so basically, again, it's a rewiring, but it's an emotional rewiring that's physical and they can see it. So it's a visualization and it's taken through that process. And then you kind of can turn the dial down or turn the dial up how you want it. 
and then you implement the positive side of it. So whenever you remove something negative, you put something positive back. That's fascinating. That is fascinating. Oh, we've, just, <laughs> we've both said it at the same time. It's absolutely fantastic. When you mentioned spiders, which now I'm going to have to do the same thing. What I did, which I do all the time, is I pretend to open a window and I take the image of the spider and oh. I put it outside and I slam the window. That's a form of it. That's yeah. so interesting. Um, I do that all. I do that all the time mm. because I have to with with certain thoughts, and I didn't realise that was the thing. I just thought that was some kind of mad technique that yeah, I'd. Uh, it's all visualisation and resetting the the mind. Yeah. I like how the kinetic shift seems to be connected to hypnosis. Could you talk to us a little bit about that practice and how that works and and how you use it? Hypnosis is again. There are people that do it online and they were doing it online during lockdown i couldn't master it online for me i i love to do it face to face uh that's the, that's the way i work best so again i'm not david mckenna or anybody like that i'm not going to make oh crack like how disappointing <laughs> <laughs> but you know what i must say that is i think that's people's people have a fear of hypnosis from seeing those kind of things. So tell us how you are not going to make your clients quack like a duck. Tell us about how it works in terms of your coaching. Yeah, I mean, I've always been, oh, you know, hypnosis, hypnosis. But then I was fascinated because I want to get more tools to help my clients because I felt that, you know, I've got the coaching and I've got the NLP, but there are sometimes everybody's unique, everyone's different, and we adapt to tools differently. So I wanted more tools in my toolbox that I could use with my clients. So I said, you know what, let me go and try hypnosis out. One thing to remember, so what I say to my clients, if they're ready for it, one thing that they I'm very clear about is that even though they may think that they're not in control, they are actually in control. What I'm doing is I'm working with their subconsciousness. Okay, so for example, we are wired when we hear an emergency sound or a fire alarm go off automatically, no matter where you are in what process of the hypnosis, you'll come out of it because you're wired that way. What we do is we're going into a deep sleep, basically a deep, deep sleep. It's that level of deep sleep almost. And even though you'll hear me working with you to rewire what we're working on, you will still be able to acknowledge other things that are going on around you. Can't shut that off. But because I've taken you to a point where you're so deep focused on what we're doing and what I'm saying, that's where your energy and your focus will be in your mind. And then hypnosis, the way it's used is, again, it's, it's, it's about rewiring those negative thoughts and feelings you have around that into the ones that you want. So it's through visualization, it's through memory that you're creating that. Could you I give mean, us I'm, an example? Because we're we're talking about very much focusing on on kind of our lives at work and our well-being at work. In terms of hypnosis, hypnosis is a you know works on a lot of aspects. So it can work on confidence, it can work on fears, phobias. So basically, it's about habit. Okay, we have okay. habits. All right, our patterns as well as NLP and all of the other, how do we change those habits? And that's what it's about. How do we um, change those thought patterns that we have around certain aspects? So the last technique that you mentioned earlier was emotional freedom technique, you called EFT. Is that 
is that another sort of complementary technique? How does that work? Again, that's another technique. And the great thing about EFT, it's also a self-help tool. So you can learn it and then do it yourself. Fantastic. Obviously, if there's something a lot more deeper, then you would go to an expert professional that does EFT to take you through mm -hmm. that process. And you may need, depending on the trauma or the challenge, you may need a few sessions with that person. The beauty about it is that is that it's non-invasive as well. So people, you know, it's, I would say it's like acupuncture without the needle. What you're doing is you're tapping on Chinese meridian points. And again, you're uh, working with energy levels and your emotional levels as well. So it's all emotional based. Because a lot of the times when we have challenges and stress and anxiety and overwhelm, it's all to do with our emotions and our thoughts. The two work together. They don't work in isolation. That's really important to understand. So we, what we have is the thought, then we have the emotions that go with it, and then the outcome, the behavior, which goes back to the NLP process. And also how it manifests in the body too. I think that's the other thing. Yeah. So a lot of the times um, when we have all the pressures and the stress and the anxiety, it affects our abdomen area, our stomach, our gut feeling, which is our second brain as well. So when we deal yeah. with that, and we deal with the mental side of it, understanding the mindset, how the two are related, we can begin to relieve those pains and issues. Literally tapping, saying a, a set of statements that will take you through a process. So what you're doing is you're acknowledging the negative statements that yes, I've got this, however, I can move forward. And you rate it on a scale of uh, one to 10, 10 being the highs, and then one being where the emotional, thought or feeling is gone or zero should I say and that's how you can judge where that emotional state is and also you can always call upon doing that tapping process whenever you want so when you feel like oh it's coming on you tap away what are you seeing with people over 40 women in particular what sort of things are they grappling with that they need help with or that they're coming for mindset coaching for support so uh, actually, um, I've had quite a varied intake. A lot of the times it's to do with having confidence in finding themselves again. So they've hit perhaps 40 and they're like, OK, my kids are kind of growing. They're doing this. Where am I? You know, do I want to go back into a career of working? Do I want to change my career? Do I want to find a new path? So again, they're, they're faced with the challenges of, whether they have the skills or not to do the things they want to do because they've been out of work for so long or they haven't done it for so long, whether they have kids or not. Yeah. And do they struggle with things like not only that they've had career breaks, but that they haven't had career breaks and they're they're a bit sort of lost or they're on a treadmill or other yeah. issues like that? Yeah. So, you know, you get the, the, the women that are constantly, it's work, work, work focused, and then they don't know how to switch off or they don't know how to take a step back, but they're actually realizing they need to. But again, there's the fear factors. If they start to um, step back from that, then what's the impact and the impression that others will have on them, especially if they're in corporate companies? You know, there's still a lot of conflict with sort of male and female career jobs, the expectations. Mm. But, you know, women, I believe, are a lot more open and stronger especially like you said you know we hit the 40s and we start questioning more where our life's going lots of changes happening and 
we're more likely to take on and adapt these new sort of changes, these tools, reach out to a coach and mindset. Men struggle more with that. That's not to say they, mm -hmm. they don't. Yes, they go out and they might get a mentor or a business coach, but very unlikely will they reach out to somebody who works in mental health and well-being and take that on board. Which and is it, a shame, isn't it? It's a shame because they ought this these this ought to be something that's on their list of priorities as well. Because the thing is, when you start to take care of yourself and understand the importance of that, that builds the relationships within the workplace with your colleagues and peers. And especially if you're in a high position, you're a CEO, manager, they have to set yeah. the example and it has to filter through because also they can't expect their employees just to do it. It has to be filtered through from top to bottom like a pyramid. Yeah. And so I'm going to dig out one of the stats that I thought to share with you that I think you would find really interesting is that the CIPD, so the Chartered Institute for Professional Development, did a study in 2022 and they concluded, and you won't be surprised by this, that mental ill health has been a significant growing concern for organizations. And the most common cause of long-term absence is, you know, mental health issues, which are stress-related, stress and anxiety. But the stats were really interesting is that 79% of their survey respondents said they had a stress-related absence from work in the last year, 90% in large organizations. So large, they define as greater than 250 employees. So to your point is that what's really interesting is that it's not just women who are suffering, men are suffering too. It's just how the approach that they take to solve that problem is different it's very those different stat, yeah. those stats are crazy they are I, I mean, 90 percent that's crazy that's awful isn't it yeah. yeah and the problem is even if i mean there are companies out there that are doing wonderful things and made some great changes out there just like in schools there are some schools that are starting to take in those changes but the problem is there is still very much the mentality of a tick box and that mindset that thinking oh i've just got to tick the boxes and that's fine is not good enough it has to be that when you implement something and this is the way i work with companies i go in i do the training or the support i then say right over the next three to six months i'll come in once a month for example and do one-to-one -one coaching for 15 minutes with the employees or whoever needs it my services for you on that day who needs to sign up me and they've got to direct people to do that because it's that ongoing development. Sometimes we just don't know we need it because there's so much going on in our world. At some point, in fact, everyone should have a coach. And I'm using that word should because I think it's an absolutely fantastic to have a coach or a mentor yeah. or somebody that you can bounce off. I need one as well. This is why we wanted to talk about it, because we think there's so many of these things out there, which we kind of don't know we need. And and almost like we don't have the language to know what we need either. And the fact that this is being talked about, mental health and well-being is being talked about and being applied in the workplace. It's I mean, hopefully that that will change things. Can I ask, so what does workplace mindset mean I don't think I've ever thought about my workplace mindset how would so, you describe that it's about growth okay it's a growth mindset and it's believing that there's always room for improvement within the workplace in okay. every aspect with having that growth um, support that continuous improvement encouraging constant learning educating 
for everybody that's kind of what it is it's the engagement of that through varied exercises varied activities that's basically what it is it's con constantly yeah. growing i mean there's different types of um, mindsets you know there's a growth mindset there's a positive mindset there's the entrepreneurial mindset there's also the challenge mindset all those aspects come in there it's like where do they fit in can we have that all incorporated in some way or another so what are the triggers like how does a company know that they need to trigger this you know growth mindset that they need to change something and get a coach in either for individuals or for groups how how, how would they assess because like caroline was saying we don't know what we don't know so tell us what we should be looking for so with companies i mean if hr doing their job or they've got the right people on board <laughs> then <laughs> they will know um because you'll see employees absentees will be increased so why are people suddenly off all the time productivity will go down okay so their data their results uh, will be going down so they need to look deeper as to why those results are going down because automatically they may think oh it's the skill of that person or they don't know the stuff but it may not be it's not the surface it could be a lot deeper it could be an issue in the workplace it could be an issue at home that's impacting them because it's very few people are very good at compartmentalizing I have to say that slowly yeah. <laughs> you know, life and work often mm. they do cross over and you have to be very very on top of it and have the right tools to be able to separate the two also employees moods might change so if your colleagues are on board and you have a great working relationship and you're all connected you will notice maybe somebody's withdrawn or they're coming into work late or they're leaving earlier they're not getting their work finished on time so they're missing target deadlines they become maybe snappy argumentative there are so many triggers out there mm, that it's true. about educating and being aware and open to what's going on around you being mindful yeah so um, what just another stat for you, which is really interesting from the International Coaching Federation, is that 51% of companies with a strong coaching culture have higher revenue. So it really underscores what wow. you're saying is that if you have a growth mindset, it actually has a, an impact on the bottom line. Because like you described all those triggers, those are going to be a drag on productivity, on the company achieving its goals, right? Because fundamentally, the owner of the company or the CFO, they want results end of they want the results but how can you create those results with a great mental well-being atmosphere because when you create those results then employees going to stay longer they're going to be happier with what they do they're going to be they're going to be a lot more motivated and ready to take on more but it's also equipping them the company has to equip them with the skills and value them and shared shared culture shared um, ethical values is also really important you know i'm doing some training for our people skills course last month because we're doing six months training last month was on mental health and well-being within the workplace and i asked them what their company vision mission was or their value they didn't actually know because we were talking about well if you don't know that are you aligned with that do you resonate mm. with that? Is that the workplace environment that you want to be working in? I think it was Richard Branson. And he said, train people well enough so they can leave. Treat them well enough so they don't want to. Wise words. Yeah. 
do you know what what i really like about all those all those things that you listed about coming in late productivity going down being snappy you know mm. just not fitting in with the workplace in my very old-fashioned view of how the workplace was and i hope it's now changing is those will be things that would get you not exactly maybe not fired but they would really affect your career so the idea that Pete, that a workplace could be looking out for those as triggers to help you is so positive and if uh, you know to work in an environment like that where you know you weren't just written off because you were having a tough time that you know there was that feeling that actually you're in this role and we could there is something we can do about this and part of that like you say that growth mindset that we're all part of it and improvements can be made I think that's just that's just so positive it gives me it gives me hope actually that that people will because I think work is hard I mean that's one of the reasons we have this podcast you know work is tricky it's a big part of our life we want to enjoy it we want to be inspired by it but sometimes we struggle and that that tug between life and work so if we can be helped and nurtured in that then that's it's just so positive so do you think culture is changing like company culture is changing and moving in that direction towards wellness and support and a growth mindset i think there is a shift yeah there's been a huge especially after the pandemic there has been a massive shift and because a lot of companies are now doing remote or hybrid working so even more this needs to be on board because it's hard to manage those working from home or hybrid or those relationships. Those kind of skills are going to be lost. We are human beings. We need to be connected. We're social creatures. And in order for messages to properly be communicated, there needs to be that because messages through emails online can be misinterpreted. Also, we need to be thinking about are we catering for everybody so all genders age sex or everything under that heading of mm. inclusivity and diversity yeah, some absolutely. people if you are suffering from learning difficulties and um, you know adhd or autistic depending on where you are on the spectrum there are certain things that don't work for them and they cannot work in that environment so it's not becoming inclusive for them. So it impacts their mental health and well-being, therefore the rest of the force. And it's about educating the rest that, okay, if X person or persons are autistic, how can we support them best? Because it's easier for us to support them than it is for them to make the changes because of the way their brains are wired. Yeah, I think people being more open about neurodiversity and understanding it more and, you know, rather than trying to mask it all the time, which, you know, I again, I think what happens is particularly for people in midlife is they spend a long time masking and trying to fit in. But actually, you get to a point where you can't do it anymore and it starts to impact your life and your work. You know, if organisations are prepared for that and that's included in their the diversity and inclusion policies, that's all the better. Do you know what's also interesting? I um, recently was talking to somebody uh, who's an expert in ADHD and autism, and she was saying that there are more and more, you know, men and women, but there's a, a lot of women that are now 40 plus are actually finding out that they are on the spectrum. Because in women, it's harder to notice. It comes out later. 
it presents differently as well. It presents completely differently. Because women tend to present differently from the initial um, symptoms that were identified for these different neurodiverse conditions. You know, it's just it's just not been something. It's something we're all catching up with. And we think, yeah. Do you know what? I recently went to a workshop and there was a lady who started up her own business. She absolutely wanted, but she is off the scales, but an amazing woman. Like she's got so much energy and she's bouncing. And now for a lot of people in the room, you could see, I mean, I was sat back and I was quite watching her. And I thought, you know, she's pretty cool. I like her because I know that I can manage that. And you could see they were like, oh my God, because they didn't know how to deal with that situation. They didn't know how to have a conversation with her. And I said, mm. you know, I did say, talk about it. instead of taking it that way, just flip it around and see what she can offer you and give you because she's got so much creativity and talent and skill that you might actually learn something from her. Absolutely. Yeah. And arm's length. Yeah, and I really like your connection to that, to inclusivity as well, because I have another stat for you, which is... Yay, we love the stats! Yeah, 15%, 15% of the UK population is estimated to be neurodivergent. That's a significant group of people, and we need to address that. And we need 15, yep. That's huge. Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a big chunk. So, you know, we, we got to attend to that in, in all sorts of different ways. I think it's it's about creating a workplace mindset where there's there's room for all, I think. And that's what I really like about what you've described about the different techniques and how you approach it, which is you're addressing the whole person, mm. and which is really hard. Um, and I, I guess in your private practice, it's a little bit different than it is in, you know, when you're dealing with an organization. But is that right for me to think that that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to address you know, the organization and how everybody works together. And it's not about teaching them how to fit in. It's more about how to make the workplace a place where they can fit. If you see the distinction I'm trying to make. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah. It's about, you know, giving them that understanding of how the process can be better, more fluid, yeah. happier working environment where everyone's valued for who they are and listened to. Often we go around and it's just, you're just told, 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 told. But no one takes that moment to actually to stop and listen to what's being said. I think the workplace can be very lonely if you're not listened to. That's something we don't always talk about. Just in the, you know, how people fit in and what they can talk about. I think if you're, you're continually masking and you're tr continually trying to fit in with a certain type of setup and behaviour... And then, and then obviously that affects your mental health as well. Yeah. And it's interesting to talk about masking. You know, they talk about um, two things. The language we use, again, NLP is, you know, do we listen to the language? That whole fake it till you make it or, yeah, keep calm, move on or keep moving forward. But first of all, when you're in a state of uncalm and someone says to you, keep calm, just move forward, get on, you know, or not even get on with it, just move forward. You can't physically do that or mentally do that because your brain is not in that place to do it. So it has its place and time. Pull so, yourself together pull is yourself another together. one. Yes, that's the other one. <laughs> Reverse language, uh, another one's. Yeah. I hear so many teachers in school, stop running. It's like, <laughs> I say, walk. And it'll suddenly be like, oh, 
you know, they start walking. You it's know. so simple, isn't it? Just turning um, it around. Yeah. Psychology is everything. <laughs> a lot of what we do in, age, in order to create that mindset is listening to ourselves, listening to others. I love the idea of listening. I think that that is a great summary you know, a sort of a scintillation of really the, the simplicity of what it is, is, you know, to, you've got to listen and pay attention and, and genuinely listen, not just sort of like, yeah, yeah, whatever kind of uh, listening, which makes it very hard when I think about it from a management point of view is, you know, that's time and it's effort and they have to see it as a value that, you know, that it's something that they value as an organization. So what advice would you give to people who want to bring in someone like you to do wellness and mindset training? as to, you know, like, what are they going to get from it that they personally might learn, but also how it's going to help their organization and their employees? So uh, by having somebody like myself come in, I would be supporting them personally. So it all, like I said earlier on, it starts with yourself. So when you know how to apply the understanding and the skills and the tools with yourself, you can then apply it to everybody else. And for me, it would be giving that self-awareness of who they are. So when they know who they are, so that mindset around who they are at home, who they are at work, what their role is, looking at their values and their belief systems, then giving them the tools, they can then begin to apply that outwardly within the company. I'm thinking of tying it back to like what you were saying about Richard Branson, which is like, that's really what their goal should be really is to create an environment where people are doing their best work, including themselves, right? So that, you know, their their team is happy and productive and the, it, it does reflect on them as, you know, as the manager or the, you know, the head of the organization that if they've got a happy and productive workforce, this mindset will help get them there. I think is, if I'm understanding you, Yes. I mean, also, it's, it's acknowledging and, um, you know, and flagging up people who you believe in your organization would be great, giving them a pay rise or a career advancement. I can see how this works in larger organizations, but for small companies that don't have deep pockets, mm. but they want to create this kind of environment. I like the idea that if they start with themselves, perhaps you know, the person whose company it is, even if they've got a couple of employees, if they start with that approach themselves and they can create that environment. But what, what advice would you give to smaller organisations? Yes, budget is always an issue for small companies, small businesses. Totally understand that. But in the long run, it, whether you do it once a year and you can make that investment, it's absolutely worth it just even once a year. And do you know what? If they find the right training and right organization, you end up building a really good relationship with them. And who knows, maybe they'll get, you know, they'll say, well, you know what? I love working with you because it's about building relationships. When I work with people, it's about building relationships as well. It's not, I'm just going on in there and then they forget about me. It's like, yeah, she was great. We want her back. And that's what it's so about. You're coaching the organization, essentially, aren't you? It's not just about, it's about the individuals within it, but it's about, when I think about coaching, I think about it being with individuals one-to-one, but actually this is this is bigger than that. This is more about coach, coaching an organization to have a better workplace mindset, to think about well-being, and then that pass, you know, that passes on to, you know, the people who work there. It absolutely filters through. I mean, you know, when you look at, 
the great businesses that have been successful you know and let's take you know tony robbins um richard branson and all these people they've not just had one coach this is the other thing. yes they've got money but they've also invested at one point in life they probably didn't have the money and they've actually invested money in there and said they've had a business coach they might have had a mindset coach they might have had a health coach they would have had different coaches to help them with different aspects because they've all got different expertise in those areas so again it's about thinking okay what is it that i need right now and if at the end of the day your mental health is forever if you do not have that in place and do not have those tools it's going to be a lot harder to reach all the other goals in your life and be successful because eventually at some point along the line no matter how resilient you are you will fall yeah it catches up with you doesn't it i caved in it you know it took me what uh, 40 years in my 40s i caved in yeah do you find that being an athlete influenced your desire to coach was there any connection between that so one of the things i would love to do is actually uh, i haven't gone down it but it's always been at the back of my mind is coaching uh within the sporting industry because the impact is huge it is huge especially uh, when you come out of you know those high profile careers as we know there's been so much on the news as well with sporting professions and celebs that you become completely lost you don't know who you are you don't know what your worth and value is because all you've done is related yourself as that career and what yeah, it's quite immersive isn't it it's what, i mean it's what, what, what else am i good at what else can i do at outside because this this comes back to languages again even in if you're not in the sporting world is when you go networking or you're not and somebody says what do you do a lot of people will turn around and say i am an electrician i am an accountant i am a mindset and well-being coach but actually you're more than that you're not just that and if you're identifying this is where the nlp comes in if you're identifying yourself as that all the time you're not going to see what else you're capable of because actually Mm. i'm a sister i'm a daughter i'm a friend i've got all these other things so i'm not just a skater and again that word just Hmm. that's something we've got in the habit of doing that's really built into the culture isn't it about defining by your profession which I think is makes it very difficult for women who often take a step out when they're raising children of their Mm -hmm. profession they might they might still be working but they might not be doing the thing that they want for people who are also pursuing lots of different careers as well, who don't fit into a kind of easy definition. That's that's the sort of thing we do. It's like you're trained when you meet someone to say, hello, you know, what's your name? What do you do? And and actually it's the wrong question, isn't it? And it's interesting, you, you know, you mentioned women because a lot of women, when you ask them, you know, what do you do? What do you work as? I mean, because I rephrase my question as well. I say, what yeah. do you think that? If they're married, they'll often say, oh, I'm a mum first, and then their job. Mm. They'll talk about their job because they're identifying themselves as the mum first. And it's interesting. I'm not saying that's wrong or right, but they're both. Oh. But then... Well, it, some it's their priority at the time, isn't it? Their priority at the time. And it depends which situation you're in as well. It's like, how do you adapt your mindset 
to the different situations that you're in when you're doing business or networking or in a social aspect. Yeah, it's coming back to the whole person, isn't it? It's like, how and where does the whole person show up? It's kind of tricky. So <laughs> where do people find you? Oh, wow. I'm all over the place. <laughs> well, you know. Tell us about some of the other things you're doing, because yeah. I mean, you're not Look, your coaching, your work in well-being is extending, isn't it? Tell us about your radio show. So I have my own channel on a radio show, and uh, that's Channel Radio 2. And it's every Friday from 10.30 to 12 noon. And this show is, again, it's related to mental health and well-being, what I'm really passionate about. It's just exploring what's out there, talking about the whole subject of stigmas, taboo subjects whether it's health, financial, abuse, loneliness, whatever it is, because it impacts everybody at some point in some way. And this show is to bring about that greater awareness. I have expert professionals that come on, so they share about tips and tools that they're using with their clients that make change, things that have been successful for them. We have nice sort of conversation and debates on there. Again, it's about having those open conversations. And then, I mean, the part that I love most about uh, mindset matters is when people share their personal stories and their journey because mm -hmm. that is where someone out there will resonate with them and know that they're not alone yeah how they've actually moved forward whether it's by themselves or they've um, reached out for support and therapy all those things it's just saying they can do it please take a stand and try and do it and don't suffer in silence yeah, it's a great act of generosity and bravery at the same time, isn't it? To share your personal story. It's hard. It is really hard to do that. And you are very invested in your local community as well. You've, you've set up the Bromley Buzz podcast. Yes. So Darren is the main lead on that. Darren Wheel of Intune PR, who is also my Mindset Matters show sponsor. And we're both also... Uh, the founders of the Let's Talk Better campaign, which I'll talk about as well. Definitely. We want to hear about that. So the Bromley Buzz started, um, I was actually emceeing at the Priory Live Music Festival in Orpington. And kind of we all got talking and we said, oh, the communication here in the London Borough of Bromley is really bad. It's kind of crap. There's not enough information. We don't know when things are going on. All those kind of things. So there was a lack of communication channels. So then I was like, do you fancy doing a pilot on this? And I was like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. And then Sarah Marsh Collins of Babel Monkey Digital and Marketing, she came up with the name Bromley Buzz. It just started from that, the pilot project, and then it just bloomed. And there was so much interest by the community, the small businesses. We ended up um, having all the councillors, the MPs on board. Sorry, I don't think about that. The MPs, the councillors. We've had three mayors on there as well the Bromley Mayors. Wow. We've had, you know, young people on there. We've talked about charities, exhibitions, small businesses, uh, festivals that have gone on, fets, fairs, you name it. And it's just, it's, it's a great communication channel. And then you and Darren have gone on to do Let's Talk Better. Tell us about yeah. that. So Let's Talk Better camp is all about being a catalyst to inspiring better conversations. Again, related to mental health and well-being. How can we talk about these taboo stigma topics with confidence, without fear? Because it's by talking we bring about greater awareness. 
and those inspiring conversations and support to the wider world, community world. And that's mm -hmm. where it fundamentally came from. We got inspired by uh, Nihal Athanayaka's book, which is called uh, Let's Talk Better. Uh, he, he's on BBC Radio, who has um, tweeted in a few times or private message uh, mm -hmm. saying, you know, we've got a great initiative going on here. Well done. So we're hoping at some point he'll come to one of our events, so which would be wonderful. Uh, we've been inspired by Perry Power, who has a book called Breaking the Silence. He talks about familial ab abuse, the impact of that and the importance of talking. Stacey Dooley, Are You OK? Her book as well. So that's been absolutely wonderful reading. All these things, you know, because so many people are bringing out books. Uh, there's so many celebs or sporting people that are now talking about their mental health. And that's where the changes are starting to happen. So the Let's Talk was launched on the 24th of February with great success. We've had so much support from the community and friends as well. And um, we did a event, our very first proper event on the 26th of May, which was themed loneliness and connection. Again, absolutely fantastic. Lots of people on board. We had mini workshops around different things, around drama, how that impacts mental health and well-being, bringing people together, the connection, mindful art, because people think of art, but it's actually a therapy because there's art therapy out there, which is so wonderful. And it's a great way of connecting again with people, with the community. And um, that's kind of what we've done. And we, you know, we're hoping to hold our next event mid end September and it's going to be themed The Last Taboo. So keep your eyes peeled. The, for the Last Taboo being? Ah, you need to keep uh, your eyes peeled for more information. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. But it's oh, a nice little teaser. Yeah, it's all around that, you know, because there are so much fears about talking about finance, your final financial circumstances. You know, we don't often yeah. talk about, you know, our struggles with that, you know, on social media, you know, all of this should be within schools, talking about finances within schools again, uh, educating parents how to talk to their children about finances. And interestingly, that CIPD survey said that financial well-being was the least um, served topic and that people had a lot of stress and anxiety about. So there's, it's a real thing. People need to understand financial literacy and, and feel safe when it comes to finances. Martin Lewis has done a great service to the UK in the work that he does on this in just sort of demystifying finances, getting people talking more openly about it, giving them t easy tips on what they can do and presenting it all in a really non-judgmental way. I think I think is um, we live in a very uh, competitive world, judgment based where, you know, we see somebody doing well and we think well, we need to be doing that. And that can really create mental strain, even social media for young people, well, even as adults and businesses. You know, and I've fallen into that trap as my, and myself. You know, I'm very open about sharing my experiences. But, you know, mm -hmm. we look at people in social media and they're out there constantly. They're in your face. You think, my God, they're successful. They're so successful. How are they doing? And I've been doing it X amount of years. Why am I not getting this? Why am I not getting that? But actually, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. And actually, are they that successful? But they're just not talking about it. Yeah. But also it, it creates this sense of, like you were saying, inadequacy. It's built to make you feel inadequate all the time. And actually, I think the strongest thing to do is to just not care and just not compete. It's like you just need to feel good about your own situation. And if you don't feel good, 
figure out how to change it or fix it or improve it in some way, get help. Uh, you know, one of the best bits of advice I ever got from a, a guy I worked with, he said, you have you have to know when to quit and you have to know when you don't have the answers and to go get help to, to get the answers. You can't know everything. Don't try. Just go get someone who knows the yeah. answer. And it's great advice, you know, that just, yeah, stop comparing yourself to other people and be okay with what you want to be okay with. And it's hard. It's really hard. I love, I love it's that. a hard habit to break. That's Absolutely. the thing. When you've been doing it all our lives, we can't just say don't compare yourself because the next time you come across somebody who makes you feel like that, you instantly compare yourself. Falling into that trap <laughs> where you get a lot, and this is where you've got to create the right thinking around it, is they say, you're not comparing, but what they say is find someone who's doing something like you and use that as a positive, replicate it, but in your own way or something, but you don't want to be them. So basically surround yourself around people that are of that level. But again, you've got to be careful not to fall into that comparing. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what other resources can you point our listeners to that, you know, would be helpful to, you know, to help themselves uh, obviously get a well-being coach? But what other resources, you know, diet, exercise, what other things can you suggest that people attend to to help their well-being? So... It doesn't cost money. Exercise means taking a walk, right? Doing a couple of movements inside your house. Like I've got a little hula hoop behind me there. Uh, I've got my elastic band. So every so often I'll stand up and I'll just do a bit of stretching. That kind of exercise. I'm not talking about you need to pay for a gym and become a gym bunny or anything like that. Keeping yeah. movement. Walking is one of the best exercises. Swimming. Okay, that's great overall. But also for me, the easiest and best tip is go for a walk in some greenery if you can do that. Become mindful when you're walking. Try and go without your phone. If you can't go without your phone, then turn it on silent and absorb your surroundings, the environment. Give yourself time to clear your mind, breathe, tune in with your breathing as you're walking. You know, probably, I need, I need to look it up actually, but I say at least probably 90 to 95 five percent of us don't know how to breathe properly but i love the idea of it's about coming back into your body rather mm. than staying in your mind and i know that i'm de that's definitely something that i default to is i always stay in my mind yeah me too it's it's hard but you've got to work it and it's an ongoing journey that we're on constantly have to work, uh, work on it i mean you know even sitting here and if you're having a conversation you'll develop the habit eventually but Though I'm talking, I'm tuning in uh, inward with my feet and wiggling my toes and I'm feeling my toes and I kind of tense my muscles. And you can do that even when you're off, but tensing each part of your body as well and then releasing and feeling that is really wonderful. It does wonders for your mind and your overall well-being. Well, thank you. Well, thank you so much, Zena. It's just been such a great conversation. I'm sure we will have more conversations with you over time, but thank you so much for giving oh, us your time today. No, it's been absolutely you, brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, Caroline and Eve. It's been absolutely wonderful to be able to chat to you. It's been wonderful. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, let us know about it. We also want to hear what you've been up to since turning 40. 
Get in touch on our website, rightsideof40pod.com. Follow us on Twitter at RightSide40, Instagram at RightSideOf40Pod, and Facebook at the Right Side of 40 Podcast. All content is arranged by Eve and Caroline. And a big thank you to Terry and V. Neal for writing, performing, and mixing the original music.